What is going on, everybody? Cover 7 family, welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And well, guys, in today's episode, we are going to be recapping all of the crazy bowl games that we had in bowl season week three. Now, we had some pretty good matchups. You know, on Thursday, we had Washington and Texas. On Friday, we were able to get Notre Dame and South Carolina and Tennessee and Clemson. And then also, the best of the best, on New Year's Eve, we had our two college football playoff semifinal games in the Fiesta Bowl against TCU and Michigan. And then over in the... um. We had Ohio State and Georgia, so we had some really good matchups that were going on here in our, I guess you could say, our final full week of bowl games here in Bowl Mania. And, you know, guys, before we get into all of that, I first want to ask y'all to please make sure, if you haven't already, make sure you're following, you know, the content. Make sure you're following the podcast. Make sure you're staying up to date with anything and everything NFL and college football related by tuning in to every single episode so that you don't forget or even miss a step or beat. So, Guys, thank you so much for all your support. Thank you for constantly tuning in each and every single day and just being the amazing supporters that y'all truly are. And, you know, guys, I don't want to keep on blabbermouthing and talking way, 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 way too much. So, guys, let's jump in right into today's recap episode. Now, for Monday and Tuesday, we, we, we're going to kind of ignore the first three games. I'll give you I'll give you the result of those three. And, you know, we had one game on Monday, and that was New Mexico State, led by former Minnesota head coach Jerry Kill, taking on Bowling Green, which New Mexico State was able to get the W from Bowling Green in the Quick Lane Bowl, 24-19, as New Mexico, New Mexico State now has won their second bowl game since, I think, 1960. So, good win, and, you know, a really great first year for Jerry Kill, you know, helping revitalize one of the worst programs in all of FBS. Now, y'all, let's head over to Tuesday as we had four games. So, pretty much started in the afternoon and then went on throughout the entire night, pretty much leading up to midnight. But the first game that we're going to talk about, we had Georgia Southern and Buffalo in the Camellia Bowl. Buffalo was able to take the W from Georgia Southern 23 to 21 as Buffalo, they end their season on a high note. Then we had Memphis and Utah State in the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl, which I was actually at. And, well, this game was pretty much Memphis from start to finish. A really strong second quarter by the Tigers was able to give them a 38-10 win over the Utah State Aggies. Now, guys, we're going to actually start kind of breaking down some of our games at least. And, you know, we had two more games left on Tuesday, which were both pretty good games. But the first one we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl, which just so happened to be the final game that Grayson McCall would play for the Coastal uh, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers before he would end up heading to the transfer portal, which he's already being looked at by numerous schools. But um, actually, you know, talk a little bit about how this game would go. Both of these teams have good offenses when they're both high-powering and flying. And... And, you know, for East Carolina, this was exactly the case. As this game, you could pretty much name the Holton, Aylers, and Keaton Mitchell game because both of these guys, these guys just absolutely went off. <clears throat> absolutely went off in this game. Holton, Aylers would go 26 of 38, 300 yards passing with five passing touchdowns on the day and also would add another one rushing touchdown. So he had a total of six touchdowns on the day. Broke a Birmingham Bowl record with five passing touchdowns and was pretty much just unstoppable. And it got even better as the run game was almost equally as good. Keaton Mitchell, who I think it easily is going to end up probably entering the transfer portal and becoming a power five starter at the running back position. 
he would have 22 carries for 127 yards rushing and one touchdown. As East Carolina pretty much just dominated a really defeated Coastal Carolina team in this game. Now Grayson McCall, who already has announced he's going to be entering the transfer portal, he decided that he would play one final game with the Chanticleers, you know, the fi his final, you know, literally final bowl game and game as a Coastal Carolina Chanticleer. So a lot of credit to Grayson for doing that. But may not have been the best decision as in this game, Grayson started out pretty solid, you know, going 10-12 for 67 yards um, rushing, or passing, sorry, not rushing, passing. Didn't get a touchdown or interception, but unfortunately as he would dive into the end zone to get, you know, the first touchdown of the game for the Chanticleers, he would land awkwardly on his head and would have to leave for the rest of the game. So, unfortunately, his final game as a Coastal Carolina Chanticleer would be cut short. But the future is still very much bright for um, Grayson McCall as he likely will end up transferring to the SEC and becoming a starter for a program out there. But, anyway, this game definitely was East Carolina from start to finish. East Carolina would have 10 points, pretty much 10, or 10 plus points in each single quarter in this game. 10 in the first, 14 in the second, 14 in the third, and 15 in the fourth to wrap it up as East Carolina would dominate Coastal Carolina in, I guess you could say, the second battle of the Carolinas, 53-29 to as East Carolina, they now finish their season 8-5, and and I mean, hey, we're a pretty solid group, uh, group of five team this year, and then for Coastal Carolina... Definitely didn't finish the way that they wanted to. You know, still still a solid season at nine and four, but definitely you lost your head coach. You're losing arguably the greatest player in your program's history in Grayson McCall. So don't expect next year to really be a strong season for the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. But anyway, East Carolina they dominate and get the win in the Birmingham Bowl. Now y'all to our final bowl game that we had on Tuesday and a game that I was really intrigued by because this would be the first game that we got a glance at Luke Fickle as the head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. You know, left Cincinnati to go take the job at Wisconsin after Paul Chris was fired as Wisconsin would take on the Oklahoma State Cowboys in the guaranteed rate bowl. Now this game for me was kind of like, okay, this could go either way, right? Wisconsin, they don't have their starting quarterback who Graham Mertz has entered the transfer portal, so they would have to go with senior quarterback Chase Wolf. And then for Oklahoma State, you know, they didn't even have, you know, Spencer Sanders who also entered the transfer portal. They didn't have their second string and Gunnar Gundy who's out with some type of injury or just was not active in this game. So they had to go down to their third string quarterback and freshman QB Garrett Randall. So both teams already weren't playing with you know, one of their more solid quarterbacks. And then to make matters worse for Oklahoma State, they got decimated by the transfer portal, right? Lost their starting running back, Dominic Richardson, to the transfer portal to Baylor. Lost Spencer Sanders to the transfer portal. You know, and then also when you look at the defensive side of the football, lost one of their best defensive players and Mason Cobb to USC. So Oklahoma State going into this game was pretty bare bones and definitely a lot of people, you know, had them kind of edged out of this game, myself included, because with Wisconsin, at least they were able to retain some pieces and, you know, one, who I think is still one of the best running backs in college football, despite, you know, not really getting talked a lot this year due to the fact that Wisconsin's offense was not that great this season. And, you know, Braylon Allen, who is still a super talented running back, as his play style is pretty much very similar to Jonathan Taylor, the um, former Wisconsin Badger in and of himself. And, you know, in this game, 
it was just an absolute rough start for Oklahoma State. Their defense, which I thought was going to kind of hurt them a little bit in this game, really didn't even play that bad. Only allowed 24 points the entire game, which most of those points, 17 of those points, actually came in the first half. So the defense of Oklahoma State was able to do their job pretty well. But the offense just took a little bit too long to get things going as pretty much through three quarters of the football, it was constantly three and outs, punting the football. And you let me look real quick at how many punts they had because I remember watching the game and I saw, you know, 10 punts. I'm like, whoa, like there's no way. You, you know, you've already punted the ball 10 dang times. And when we look here real quick, uh, let's see here. It was about, about I think it was about 12. I want to say about 12 to 13 punts which Oklahoma State had in this game. So definitely not your formula to win a game, but you got to give a ton of credit to Wisconsin and their defense as well. As This was actually the first game that Luke Fickle was the head coach for Wisconsin, Wisconsin, which I didn't even know you could do, you know, being a new hire during the season. I mean, normally, you know, coaches like the new hires, they'll be on the sideline, but they won't have a headset on, calling timeouts, talking with the offensive coordinator, you know, doing all the normal duties that a head coach does during a game, which is what Luke Fickle was doing in this game. So it's kind of cool seeing that. I do feel a little bit bad for the interim because it's like, wow, yeah, they're, they're just completely already, you know, moving on. But I mean, hey, in his first game, you know, coaching the Badgers, they didn't look that bad, you know, didn't have Graham Merch, so they went with the backup quarterback, Chase Wolf, who who hasn't really had a lot of playing, you know, playing time in his career. He looked pre looked pretty good. 16 to 26, 116 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception, but really for the offense of the Badgers, it would be led by their star running back Braylon Allen, who, mind you, once Paul Chris left, looked like he would also be leaving with him, but thankfully they went out and got Luke Fickle and that convinced Braylon Allen to stay with the Badgers. Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. Convinced him to stay with the Badgers. And, you know, in this game, Braylon Allen, who never really had any huge explosive plays, but really was just consistently getting a lot of those, you know, tough yardage that you need, which is what you're going to want out of a guy like Braylon Allen. He would have 22 carries for 116 yards rushing and one touchdown. And also this, their um, number two running back, Chez Malusi, he would have 16 carries for 77 yards rushing and a touchdown as well as Wisconsin, who... Weren't really able to do much in the second half. Only had one touchdown, which came, you know, in the third quarter. But outside of that, their defense was able to it was able to make a stand against a late push by Oklahoma State as a Wisconsin Badgers and Luke Fickle's first game being the official head coach of the Badgers would go on to beat Oklahoma State in a guaranteed rate bowl. 24 to 17 as the Badgers they finish up their uh, 2022 campaign seven and six after they had a really rough start to begin the year which I think a lot of people forget had a really upsetting loss at home against a pretty bad and average Washington State team who I will give them credit their offense is good but overall not that great of a team but you know they were able to kind of bounce back a little bit towards the second half of the season being able to get wins against teams like Purdue Maryland on the road against Nebraska and you know didn't really have any impressive wins this season but definitely finishing it off with a with a win against the Oklahoma State Cowboys does not hurt and then for Oklahoma State I mean, man, just what a downfall the season it was. You start the season out 6-0, and going into that TCU game, or 5-0 and actually, sorry. Going into that game, you were 5-0, and 
you know, you lose that game in a double overtime thriller, which I was at personally. I mean, Oklahoma State looked really good even despite the loss. And, you know, still not the end of the world. You come back home, you get a win on homecoming against the 20th-ranked Texas Longhorns. So it looked like Oklahoma State was going to be fine. But then Spencer Sanders gets banged up. You're now on the road at Manhattan playing Kansas State, and you get absolutely walloped 48-0. to and that would pretty much be, you know, solidifying the downfall of the Cowboys season. Next week, you lose on the road, which was just an embarrassing loss against Kansas. And then you only win one of your, you know, your three remaining games. So it was a rough way to end the year. You know, you lost Spencer Sanders. You lost Dominic Richardson. You lost a couple guys on defense. But, I mean, man, just there is a few bright spots. I mean, Garrett Rangel, despite throwing two interceptions in this game, was not that bad. Definitely he has the arm, but it's still very wild and still is showing a lot of that, you know, freshman quarterback and freshman player type of, you know, mistakes that you're going to see. So I think the future is still bright with both of these programs. Obviously, I still like Mike Gundy. I like Luke Fickle. And I think both of these programs are definitely headed in the right direction. So anyway, Wisconsin, to wrap up Tuesday, they get the win over the Oklahoma State Cowboys and the guaranteed rate bowl. Now, y'all, that's it for Tuesday, and that was it for Monday. So now let's get to Wednesday, as we didn't have a quadruple header. or Actually, we did have a quadruple header. I don't even know what I'm talking about. We had yet another four-game slate, which starts in you know starts in the afternoon and then finishes up at night. But the first game that we did have and that I want to talk about here on Wednesday, we're going to go up to Annapolis, uh, Maryland, you know, home of the Naval Academy, in the Military Bowl, presented by Paratone as we had UCF taking on Duke. Now for Duke, you know, they have a new coaching regime now. They got Mike Elko, the former D defensive coordinator of the Texas A&M Aggies, and in his first year for Duke, led them to an 8-4 and record in which they were able to really embarrass Miami on the road, were able to beat, you know, Boston College, able to beat Virginia Tech, were able to beat Wake Forest to close out the year. So a pretty good first season from Mike Elko and the Blue Devils, and, you know, have another really solid test against a pretty solid UCF team who definitely did not finish the year as strong, you know, losing 45 to 28 against 18th ranked Tulane, but still a very solid team that's led by a really good head coach and Gus Malzahn. And, you know, here in the military bowl, it was Duke from literally start to finish. Now, after the first quarter, it was 7-7. to You know, both defenses were playing pretty good. But in the second quarter, Duke, they would start to separate themselves a little bit. And a lot of that was due to the credit of their young quarterback and Riley Leonard, who has looked really good this season, led the team in passing, and also led them in rushing in this game against UCF. As Riley Leonard on the day would go 19-28, 173 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. And he also would run for 10 carries for 63 yards rushing and two touchdowns as well. So Riley Leonard is definitely a name, you know, especially in the quarterback, you know, quarterback, uh, you know, talks and everything like that going into next season because he'll only be a junior and, you know, in a second year now in this system with Mike Elko, I think Riley Leonard's going to only continue to develop even better. So definitely make sure you remember the name Riley Leonard. And to, you know, to a lot of Duke's credit, their defense was a big reason and why they won this game, you know, having six sacks on the day, which is huge, especially going up against this high-powering UCF team, which, as we all know, definitely had a rough, you know, end to their season. You know, John Rice Plumley in this game would go 21 of 34, 182 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. And, you know, offensively, they just never could really get anything going. You know, outside of, you know, two rushing touchdowns by Isaiah Bowser, UCF was pretty much limited to absolutely nothing on the day. So, to Duke's credit, which I had predicted, I said that 
You know, this Duke team under Mike Elko in his first season is completely revamped. And, well, we got another good example of it here in the Military Bowl as Duke would go on to roll past UCF 30-13 to as under first-year head coach Mike Elko, the Duke Blue Devils go 9-4. and And then for UCF... You know, rough, you know, had a pretty solid start to the season despite losing to Louisville. You know, still had a pretty solid start to the year, but definitely the way it finished, you know, probably the most embarrassing loss was against Navy. They finished the year now 9-5, and five, and, you know, kind of talking a little bit, you know, back now about Duke. I don't think Mike Elko is getting enough credit for what he's been able to do, you know, with this Duke program, which, you know, nothing against Coach um, Cutcliffe or anything like that, but definitely... This Duke, this Duke team was not a team that I think really any coach would want to go to, but Mike Elko accepted the challenge, accepted the paycheck as well, and I would say, you know, bringing this team to 9-4 and four in your first season is not too shabby, so great first year for Mike Elko and the Blue Devils as, they're go as they would go on to beat UCF in the Military Bowl. Now, y'all, for the next game that we had in this in this um, uh, Wednesday field of bowl games, Arguably, which I, which I personally think, and I know I've said it about some other games, I think this game was probably the best bowl game that we had the entire bowl season. Now, you'll hear me. You'll, now, I say that now as I'm recording, and I'll probably change my mind a little bit more once some of the more other games come on. So, But anyway, the game that I'm talking about is the AutoZone Liberty Bowl in Memphis as we had the Kansas Jayhawks who were, who were appearing in their first bowl game since the late 2000s taking on the Arkansas Razorbacks. Now, Arkansas, definitely a disappointing season. You know, going into this game, I don't think anybody expected them to be 6-6 six and six and let alone go to the AutoZone Liberty Bowl because, you know, they were retaining K.J. Jefferson. They were getting back Raheem Sanders, who even this season was really good. And, you know, defense, which had bumper pool, had Drew Sanders, the Alabama transfer, the linebacking core was stacked, the safety room was pretty solid as well with Jalen Catalan and, well, things just started to crumble this year for Arkansas. Whether it was injuries, you lose Bumper Pool, you lose J Jalen Catalan to the transfer portal. You know, Drew Sanders already declared for the NFL draft. K.J. Jefferson was battling with injuries the entire season. So definitely not the season that the Razorbacks wanted. But in this game, they would get off to a quick 24-7 lead at the end of the first quarter. And it looked like Arkansas was just simply going to, you know, run away with this game. Jalen Daniels, who... Looked fantastic in the first six games, or yeah, first five games really for the Kansas Jayhawks when they were five and zero. You know, got that shoulder injury against TCU, which I was not a dirty hit for everybody out there that calls TCU a dirty team. That was not a dirty hit, but definitely an unfortunate play. And you know, ever since that injury, he really hasn't been the same quarterback that we got used to seeing. You know, the guy that had a legit shot at being a Heisman candidate at the end of the season, but in this game. Definitely the first half, it did not look like that whatsoever. As you know, at halftime, Arkansas was leading the Kansas Jayhawks 30 or 31 to 13. And the game pretty much was all but over. But hold up now. Hold up now. The Jayhawks would come storming back in the second half, only allowing one touchdown for Arkansas as they would put up 25 points to take the game into overtime. And a lot of that was due to the play of Jalen Daniels, who was really good in this game. You know, despite having two interceptions early on, he would bounce back as he would go 37 of 55. And yes, this stat line is accurate. 544 yards passing with five passing touchdowns and then those two interceptions we talked about. I mean, this guy was slinging the ball the entire game. And, you know, receiving-wise for the Jayhawks, Luke Grimm and Lawrence Arnold, who's a guy that I really like, you know. His name's Lawrence. 
goes to the University of Kansas, which is in Lawrence, Kansas. So it was kind of a you know a match made in heaven. He they both would ball out in this game. Each had over 100 yards receiving. Luke Graham would have 167 yards receiving and a touchdown. Lawrence uh, Lawrence Arnold would have 119 yards receiving. And you know Kansas's offense was really not that bad in this game, but the defense just simply could not withstand you know, the Arkansas Razorbacks, and we saw that, you know, in overtime as well, as K.J. Jefferson had a, a crazy good game running the football and throwing the football. Throwing the football-wise, he'd go 19-29, to 287 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. But running the football, Kansas just simply could not stop him. 14 carries for 130 yards rushing with two touchdowns. Rashad Dubin, Dubin oh, Rashad Dubin, Dubinian, I want to say that's how you pronounce his last name. I'm so sorry. I, I mean, I'm once again, as everybody knows, I'm horrible at pronouncing names. He would have 20 carries for 112 yards rushing and two touchdowns. And then AJ Green, which no, it's not the or not the former Cincinnati Bengals star wide receiver who's now with the Cardinals, or it's not also the former Oklahoma State DB or the internet sensation AJ Green. But no, this is A.J. Green, the running back for the Razorbacks, as A.J. Green would have 13 carries for 99 yards rushing and one touchdown, as Arkansas would have a total of about 400 rushing yards in this game and five rushing touchdowns. So, yeah, it's safe to say Arkansas was really feeling it, you know, being able to run the football in this game against the Jayhawks. And, well, things would get really interesting in double overtime as I think it was going into the, yeah, it was the second overtime, you know, Arkansas, which they were able to stop, they were able to stop Jalen Daniels, who would run the football, was about to get into the end zone, and they stopped him short of the goal line, but the problem was the player led with the crown of his helmet, the defender did, which he would get ejected, giving them another chance, and then they would convert that two-point conversion, and then you go into the third overtime, and well, Arkansas, they would get theirs, and then for Kansas, they ran a very, and I mean very, head-scratching play because you didn't put the ball in the hands of your quarterback who was on fire in Jalen Daniels. Instead, you put it in the hands of Jason Bean, who would completely overthrow his wide receiver in the back of the end zone. As Arkansas, they would survive in one of the most thrilling college football games you will ever watch. 55-53 to is Arkansas. They wrap up their 2022 season going 7-6 and and also with an AutoZone Liberty Bowl win. And then for Kansas... Don't hang your heads necessarily for losing this game. The biggest the biggest thing you could take away from this season is the fact of you started 5-0, but the problem was you were just not able to finish out the season, which a lot of that was due to injuries and inconsistent play. But regardless, you were able to make it to a bowl game, and you definitely you definitely gave Arkansas a run for their money in this game because when I I was I forgot what I was doing. I was coming back home from watching a TCU basketball game, and I looked at my phone and I saw the score of this game. And I'm like, okay, it's over with. And then about 20 to 30 minutes later, I look back, just kind of curious, saying, okay, you know, what damage has been done? And it was 38 to 38. And I'm like, there's no way that Arkansas let Kansas come back. But Jalen Daniels was show, showcasing a lot of that Heisman, you know, promise that we saw early on in the season. And, well, I mean, it pretty much almost single-handedly gave them the win in this game. But Woo Pig Suey, they were able to survive as they would go on to beat Kansas in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Now, y'all, we only had two more bowl games here on Wednesday, but the first one I want to talk about, and yet again, another crazy finish, and I mean, it, I don't know what it was with Wednesday, but there was just a ton of crazy finishes. We're going to go out to San Diego, California at Petco Park, home of the San Diego Padres in the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl, which is an absolute mouthful to just say in general, so it's the Holiday Bowl for all you guys out there who may not know. 
and you know talking a little bit about how this game would go to start it off. I mean, UNC looked really good. Drake May would get three passing t three passing touchdowns pretty early on, and well, that would be all he would do. Um, Drake May really after the first half didn't do much in the second, which. A lot of that you can give credit to Oregon's defense for finally stepping up, making the right adjustments, and you know really controlling UNC's offense. Which you know going into this game, I thought, okay, the way they finished this year, you lose your rival NC State, you then go, you know, then go play Clemson in the ACC championship game, you get whooped there, and also not to mention the week prior to the NC State game, you lose to Georgia Tech at home as well. So it was a rough way to you know finish the regular season for Carolina, and I thought going into this game. It was just going to be a Bo Nix absolute festival. He's going to throw the football like crazy against this poor defense of North Carolina. But that was actually not the case because going into halftime, it was 21-14 UNC. And it would actually remain that until about, not the I would say about the midway part of the fourth quarter when, you know, scoring would finally start to resume. And, well, the fourth quarter was pretty much Bo Nix's quarter because this guy, I mean, man... He may not have been the most impressive through the first three quarters of football, but when it mattered the most, he definitely showed up. Also, like his former Oregon Duck um, quarterback, Justin Herbert, what, he, what he's been doing the past few weeks for the Los Angeles Chargers. But in this game, Bo Nix would go 23 of 30, 205 yards passing with two passing touchdowns, one of which would be the game-winning pass touchdown to Chase Cota to win, win the game and also would throw one interception. But he wasn't even the biggest producer of offense in this game for the Ducks. It would actually be Bucky Irving, who has one of the best names that you will hear in college football. Bucky Irving, absolute amazing name, but also an amazing player, as he would have 13 carries for 149 yards passing with two, or not passing, with rushing, with two rushing touchdowns as well, as he really was kind of the focal point for Oregon throughout the entirety of this game when the pass game, you know, which really was not as strong, but for right reasons. You had a lot of guys enter the transfer portal, most, you know, kind of the most notable one was um, Tyquan Thornton, the younger brother of um, he's he's with the Patriots. I don't know why my my name just went blank or why his name went blank in my mind. But um, anyway, you know, Oregon for the most part of this game really was not as offensively dominant as we've gotten used to seeing. Same with North Carolina, which we started to see a little bit towards you know the end of the uh, end of the season, but also. Mar uh, Drake May didn't have his top target in Josh Downs, who had already declared for the draft. The run game, which only had 116 yards rushing, really didn't help at all whatsoever. And, I mean, got to give credit to Oregon's defense for really stepping up in the second half second half and shutting down North Carolina's offense as Oregon on literally a double doink extra point which I thought was going to be you know not good we're going to get sent to overtime 27 to 27 game but luckily enough it would hit the left upright bounce right back through the goal goal post and would give Oregon the win now North Carolina they would get the ball down to about I think it was about Oregon's 40 I want to say and, you know, despite the best efforts of Drake May to get the ball into the end zone, the ball would just fall down as Oregon will go on to make the comeback in the fourth quarter to win the, the Holiday Bowl against North Carolina 28-27 to in an absolute nail-biter of a game as Oregon, they finish up their 2022 campaign 9-3. and And then for North Carolina, they finish up their season going 9-4. and Or actually, Oregon, they go 10-3. and I'm sorry, I'm looking at the um, pass record. Oregon would go 10-3. and And then for North Carolina... They would finish up their 2022 campaign going 9-5, and five, which I don't know why the records aren't showing up properly. But regardless, definitely a really disappointing finish to North Carolina for their season because, I mean, to think that Drake May at one point this season was considered, you know, an Heisman favorite almost. But when you lose 
three straight games to Georgia Tech, NC State, and then to Clemson in the ACC championship game. It's not really going to help you out that much, but definitely the future is still bright up there in Chapel Hill. As Drake May, I think a lot of people forget, it's just a redshirt freshman and still has a buttload of football ahead of him. So I'm still excited to see him. And then also on the opposite side, I'm excited to see Bo Nix return for one more year of college football. You know, his second year in Dan Lanning's system. I think he's going to absolutely flourish. And definitely if you're in the Pac-12, you do not want to mess with Oregon next season. Now, y'all, we had one final game on Thursday, which we're going to go back down to my state, the state of Texas in the Tax Act Texas Bowl, as we actually had a Texas team in this game going up against a Mississippi team as we had the Texas Tech Red Raiders taking on the Ole Miss Rebels. Now, I thought this game from the, from the get-go, it would be complete and utter Ole Miss domination, right? I thought Texas Tech did not have a shot in the world to compete in this game. And that's no, you know, shot at Tech or anything like that. Yes, I might be a little bit biased as a TCU fan. But, you know, I still like Tech. I still think they have the, you know, they still have the potential to be a really good team under, you know, head coach Joey McGuire, who had gotten a contract extension a little bit early on last week. But um, anyway, you know, in this game, Texas Tech would just start out completely red hot as he would score 26 points in the first half to Ole Miss's seven. Jackson Dart also really struggled in this game throwing the football. And, you know, I'll give him a little bit of an excuse due to the fact that he did suffer a shoulder injury in this game, and he still toughened it out and played the entirety of the game. So, you know, hats off to Jackson for doing that. You really don't see that a lot in nowadays college football and, you know, NFL football for that regard. But, um... Anyway, in this game, Jackson Dart, he would go 25 of 41, 361 yards passing with two touchdowns. When you just look at that, you're like, okay, that's not that bad. But he also would go on to throw three interceptions, which one of those would be the game-sealing interception. And you just really almost never could get their foot going offensively. You know, running the football stat-wise, we're not that bad. But when you watch this game, the way that Tech had schemed their defense – they made it to where, you know, they pretty much forced Jackson Dart to throw the football, you know, the entire game, which is why he had, you know, 41 attempts on the day. Now, Quinshawn Judkins, who was the best freshman running back in all of the nation, one of the top running backs in all of the nation, he did okay in this game, 23 carries for 91 yards rushing. But, once again, hats off to Texas Tech's defense, which, as we all know, has not really been a team that's been known to stop some pretty good offenses. But in this game, they were able to do exactly that. Um, Malik Heath for Ole Miss, he would have himself a solid game, eight receptions for 137 yards receiving, and also had one um, one receiving touchdown, which was an amazing one-handed catch right in the front corner of the end zone. Now that really that touchdown really felt like okay, Ole Miss could get right back into this game. Well, you see here is you know you go to go for the two point because you had to, you know. The refs miss a blatant pass interference or holding call, which would have given you another attempt. And then after that, you go for the onside kick. And well, Texas Tech, their hands team, immediately picks the ball up and runs right into the end zone to get the game-sealing touchdown. As Texas Tech, man, their offense was just pure dominant in this game. And, well, the, the, I guess you could say the MVP of this game would go to Tyler Shug, the former Oregon quarterback who definitely had a little bit of a rough tenure as a duck, transfers to Lubbock, you know, a fresh start, everything like that, dealt with injuries for a majority part of his, you know, Raider, Red Raider career so far, but, you know, finally when he was able to stay healthy and get back into, you know, actually playing football, Tyler Shug has looked pretty good. 
Um, Tyler in this game, passing and rushing-wise, was fantastic. Throwing the football, 24-39, 242 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. And, you know, for a lot of people that have never really watched Tyler Shug, his main, you know, I guess you could say quarterback trait is throwing the football, right? He's not really a mobile mobile quarterback. But in this game, he completely erased that, you know, erased that title. As in this game, Tyler Shug would lead the Raiders in rushing and rushing touchdowns as he'd have 25 carries for 111 yards rushing and two touchdowns. As Tyler Shug and the Red Raiders would go on to upset Ole Miss in the Texas Bowl, 42-25 as Texas Tech, they now finished their first year under head coach Joey McGuire, 8-5. And, and then for Ole Miss, you know, at one point in the season, they were 7-0. and But, you know, going to LSU, getting upset, that really derailed their season. And, you know, for the rest of the season, they would only win one of their last four games, which would just barely be in a nail-biter against Texas A&M. So, definitely a rough finish for the Rebels. But for Texas Tech... A really bright future with Joey McGuire, who definitely is a great recruiter. You know, was a head coach in the state of Texas in high school football, so definitely still has a lot of roots there. And I mean, I think Texas Tech might be a you know legitimate you know another eight and four, nine and three team in the Big Twelve. So you know, watch out for the Red Raiders next season in year two of Joey McGuire. Now, y'all, that wraps up all of our bowl games that we had on Tuesday and Wednesday. So now let's get to Thursday, as we had. Two pretty big, you know, Big 12 bowl games. Now, the first one that I want to talk about, and, you know, the first game that we actually did have on Thursday, we're going to go up to the Bronx. We're going to go up to the home of the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium, as in the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl. We had the Syracuse Orange taking on the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And, you know, for Minnesota, all they needed to do in this game was give the football to Mo Ibrahim, and they would be fine, right? You know, that dude is an absolute workhorse if you've never watched Mo Ibrahim I highly suggest checking out his highlights because this guy easily has the potential to be a great running back at the next level and then for Syracuse you know had a really great start to the season you know started the season 6-0 and but you know losing on the road against Clemson pretty much derailed the rest of their season as they would only win only win one more game the entire second half of the the season, which would be the final game of the year at Boston College. So Syracuse wanted to be able to end the season on a good note, and we'll end this game up there in the Bronx where it was cold, which, no offense, both of these teams, they play in the cold, but... For Syracuse, you play in a dome, so it's a little bit more different. But um, but anyway, guys, let's actually talk about how this game would go. Um, you know, in this game overall, it was pretty lackluster offensively. Not as much, which isn't really shocking considering both teams, you know, either have a banged up quarterback or they're going with a backup quarterback. With Syracuse, they did get Garrett Schrader in this game, so I'm sorry if I said he was not playing, but. Really wouldn't do that good in this game. 32 of 51 for 330 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. But there was history that was made in this game, and especially in the Big Ten and um, for Minnesota school history. And, of course, we got to talk about the great Mo Ibrahim. Now, this guy, in my opinion, is one of the best running backs in Big Ten history. And, you know, in this game, solidified himself as the best running back in Minnesota history. Which, you know, Minnesota, they've produced some pretty decent running backs, you know, one of being the late Marion Barber. But anyway, in this game, Mo would go 16 um, with 16 carries for 71 yards rushing and a touchdown, which that one touchdown would actually make him the season leader or um, record season uh, rushing touchdowns in a season. 
by a Minnesota Golden Gopher as he would get 20 rushing touchdowns on the season. And yes, you heard that correctly, 20 rushing touchdowns. And behind a really good performance by Daniel Jackson, the wide receiver by Minnesota, Minnesota would go on to beat Syracuse in this game in the pinstripe bowl 28 to 20 is minnesota they now finish their 2022 campaign nine and four and and then for the syracuse orange you know a you know really great start to the season you go six and oh but once you get that clemson loss everything just went downhill and definitely finishing off your season pretty much at home at you know yankee stadium and losing this game was definitely a rough one but besides that minnesota they're able to go on to win the pinstripe bowl over syracuse now, y'all, for our next game that we had on Thursday, we're going to now go to some Big 12 bowl games. And, well, this was not necessarily the day if you were a Big 12 fan or just a fan of, you know, the two biggest programs in the Big 12. But the first bowl game that we're going to talk about, we're going to go all the way down to Orlando, Florida in the Cheez-It Bowl as we had the Oklahoma Sooners taking on the Florida State Seminoles. And I think it's safe to say at this point now, Jordan Travis is a legitimate Heisman candidate going into 2023. This guy who, to start his career, was really rocky, played with a couple rough Florida State teams, but still showed a lot of flash. But this season, under Mike Norvell, finally getting settled in this system and having all the weapons around him with guys like Trey Benson, Trayshawn Ward, Johnny Wilson, who had an absolute monster game today um, in this game against Oklahoma. But Jordan Travis, stat-wise, you know, not looking at all of the plays he made and everything like that, he would go 27 of 38, 418 yards passing. Now, mind you, Jordan Travis is mostly known as a running quarterback. Now, he has a good arm, but really, he's mostly going to kill you with his legs, so Huge day by Jordan Travis as he would also throw two touchdown passes and one interception. And for Florida State, you know, I talked a little bit about how Johnny Wilson, who is a former Arizona State Sun Devil and, you know, wanted to make a new, you know, make a new change, right? You know, Herm Edwards wasn't working for him, everything like that. Comes down to Tallahassee, Florida, and he's absolutely flourished in Mike Norvell's system as Johnny Wilson, to wrap up his 2022 campaign, literally gets a third of his total season receiving yards as he would have eight receptions for 202 yards receiving. What an absolute monster day by Johnny Wilson. You know, also would get helped out a little bit by Ontario Wilson, who would have a receiving touchdown, and Marcuston Douglas, who would also have a receiving touchdown as well. So for Florida State's offense, which kind of sputtered a little bit through the first three quarters of football, they would finally get things clicking, and in the fourth quarter, which they would put up 17 points and would ultimately lead to the game-winning field goal over Oklahoma. And then on the flip side for the um, the Sooners, their offense really didn't even play that bad in this game. You know, definitely struggled a little bit with um, fumble issues. Dylan Gabriel had one in this game. Luckily enough, it didn't go to Florida State. And then Gavin Sawchuk, who's a running back for OU, he would have what would end up being the game-changing fumble, which Florida State would get it right back and then go down the field and score. So definitely was a rough day turnover-wise for OU because they really had a lot of costly turnovers, but running the football, they were really giving Florida State a run for their money. Javante Barnes had 108 yards rushing with a touchdown, a freshman that I know a lot of OU Sooner fans are super excited to see how he develops in, you know, Brent Venables and Jeff Levy's system. And then also Gavin, you know, Gavin Sawchuk, who probably is not going to get talked about for the right reasons due to the fact that, yes, he had pretty much the game losing fumble, but he had himself a pretty solid day, 15 carries for 100 yards rushing and a touchdown. Dylan Gabriel would also, uh, also would not one rushing touchdown as well and you know throwing the football too the Sooners didn't do that bad 14 and 24 243 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions and you know going into halftime it really looked like okay OU might be able to you know you know snag this one away from Florida State and you know considering Mike Norvell's past history in bowl games which during his time at Memphis when he was a head coach 
he was 0-4 in bowl games, so definitely he was looking to get, you know, that first bowl win, and well, finally, his wish would come true as Florida State would go on to kick the game-winning field goal. You know, OU would get the ball back, but really would not be able to do anything with less than a minute as Florida State would go on to win the Cheez-It Bowl 35-22 to over the, over the Sooners, who now finished with a losing record for the first time since the 90s. And then for Florida State, they finished their season on a really good note, 10-3, and and were able to reach the 10-win mark for the first time. I think I want to say since about 2014, 2016, somewhere around that time frame. So absolute great season for Mike Norvell. Definitely had a little bit of a rough, uh, you know, rocky start to his Florida State career, but... Man, has he really done a good job. And, you know, going into 2023, Florida State has one of the top recruiting classes in the country in the top 25. And I definitely think the Seminoles are not a team you're going to want to mess with going into next season. Now, y'all, we only had one more game on Thursday, which it was still another Big 12 game. And like I talked about, Thursday was really not the Big 12's day. It was absolutely not, as we're going to go down to San Antonio, Texas. So we're going to go out west a little bit, as we had the Texas Longhorns taking on the Washington Huskies. Now, first and foremost, I want everybody to understand this. Texas did not have a decent amount of players in this game, right? And a lot of them were key contributors. They had their top two running backs out, Bijan Robinson, who's going to likely end up a first-round pick, Roshan Johnson, who's going to be a mid-round pick, who those guys were pretty much the main contributors on offense for the Longhorns and then also add on top of that on the defense side of the football they were without their captain pretty much and DeMarvian Overshone who had declared for the NFL draft so it, I think it was safe to say the Longhorns were really and I mean really you know a little bit slim when it came to just you know depth but they still have a lot of talent that's no excuse because once again they are they you know year in year out recruit you know one of the top classes in the nation but Regardless, they were going to have to prove it in this game as they were going up against a really tough Washington Husky team, which has one of the top offenses in all of the nation, led by Michael Penix Jr., the former Indiana Hoosier. But um, in this game, really rocky start to Texas. I mean, through the first two quarters of football, they only were able to get a field goal. Quinn Ewers, who was constantly under pressure the entire game, really struggled throwing the football. Xavier Worthy, who was a top target in this game for Texas, a guy that's still kind of been circulating a little bit as potentially a guy that might hit the transfer portal. He continues to have drop issues, which is something he's really you know struggled with during his sophomore season this year. You know, last year was a freshman All-American, had all the hype in the world going into this season. But definitely, I would say, has disappointed, and a lot of that is due to the fact that well, to be frank, he's dropped a lot of passes, and we saw that once again in this game. And, you know, for the Washington Huskies, on the other hand, their offense, which has been one of the best in the country this entire season, you know, we just mentioned it a little bit ago, it took them a little bit to get going in this game, right? Only had 13 points going into halftime, but in the second half, Michael Penix Jr., who struggled a little bit early on in the game, really got his foot, you know, set in stone and was able to, you know, Throw the football around and sling it like he's been able to do all season as Michael Penix Jr. in this game will go 31-50 of for 273 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. And, I mean, this Texas defense, which really didn't even play that bad in this game, I mean, only allowed, you know, 28 points for, and, you know, going up against Washington, you know, their previous game against Washington State, they pretty much scored almost about 150. So for Texas's defense, not a bad game. But the offense just was so bad. And, you know, I don't really want to put a lot of that on Quinn Ewers because Quinn didn't even play bad in this game. You know, he'd go 25 of 36, 200, or sorry, let me, let me refresh that real quick. 
He'd go 31 of 47, 269 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interception. So Quinn did his thing. I mean, don't get it twisted. Yes, he struggled at times in this game, but overall, Quinn was not that bad. The run game, which normally for Texas, the run game is not going well. We saw it against TCU. You know, they're going to end up losing that game. And, well, when you don't have your top two backs and now you're down to your third string and Keelan Robinson, who really hasn't seen that much playing time all season, not really a good thing for you as Keelan would have or yeah, Keelan would have 27 rushing yards on the day and Texas would only have 51 total. Now, receiving-wise, Xavier Worthy, like we mentioned, struggled immensely. The effort, you can tell that just kind of mentally, you know, he's really not there with the team. You can tell that he might be potentially looking, you know, looking towards something else because, I mean, man, this game was just really hard to watch if you were a Texas fan because Xavier Worthy, who was wide open and had an easy touchdown reception, just completely dropped the ball. I mean, just utterly, completely dropped the ball. And when you look at the final in this game, which was 27 to 20, my bad, not 28 to 20, that literally costed Texas the game. And, you know, despite Xavier Worthy having 84 receiving yards on the day, he really didn't look that good. Casey Kane would actually step up for the Longhorns and have 106 yards receiving in this game. But it would just, it would just be too little too late as Texas would finally get things going in the fourth quarter as they'd be able to get a touchdown and then a field goal to put them down on you know only by a touchdown now they attempted an onside kick which I think they really didn't need to because they saw two timeouts left it was like a minute and 30 left <coughs> so worst case scenario you get the ball back and you have you know you still have a lot of field to cover but not as much but they decided to go for the onside kick and test their luck Washington recovers. Now, Washington would end up, you know, punting the ball, but it would go down, I think it was inside the Texas 25. And then for Texas, on the final play of the game, Quinn Ewers would throw it up to Casey Kane, and he would catch it. He would come down with it on a 49-yard reception. But, unfortunately, just too little too late, as Washington, under first-year head coach Kalen DeBoer, would finish their season finish 11-2. and I mean, what a first year for Kalen DeBoer. You know, the former Fresno State head coach comes over to Washington in his first year, a team that went 4-8 and eight last season, which a lot of people forget, and completely revamped them. Their offense has become one of the best in the nation. And, I mean, the future is going to be really bright for Washington. As You know, also, too, they get Michael Penix Jr. back next year as well. So Washington is another team that, I mean, hey, kind of similar to Florida State, you do not want to mess with them because they have a veteran quarterback that – to be frank, both of those guys are definitely, you know, Heisman contenders. Michael Penix Jr., simply for his arm and how he's able to sling the football. And then you got Jordan Travis for FSU, who has just a ton of athletic ability. But anyway, Washington would go on to beat Texas 27-20 in the Alamo Bowl. As Texas, they finish up their season 8-5 and five and, well... Two consecutive, I would say, disappointing seasons so far under Steve Sarkeesian. And, you know, a lot of that can be put on whether it's coaching issues, which we saw a lot of in the TCU game, you know, being there up close and personal. Definitely were a lot of questionable times. You know, they really strong start to the year. You know, almost beat Alabama at home, which that was – I think that was a game that Texas should have won. But still, you lost on the road against Tech. You know, you lost on the road against Oklahoma State, who ended up getting killed by K-State and ended up losing, you know, in the – um and then you get guaranteed rate bowl against uh, against Wisconsin. And then also, too, your final you know regular season loss of the year came against TCU. But, I mean, still, despite those four losses, it, you know, they're not that bad. But, I mean, there's been moments where they've really been tested. I mean, really been tested. Iowa State was one of those games that kind of opened the eyes for a lot of Texas fans because, and re realistically, you know, Texas only won 24-21 to against the Cyclones. And, well, we saw how bad Iowa State was this year as well. So, 
Texas, they've got a lot of things they need to work on. I mean, they've got a huge recruiting class coming in next season. And if you're a Texas fan and you're already done with, you know, Steve Sarkeesian and everything like that, give him one more year. Give him 2023. You know, if you sit at 7-5, and 8-4 once again and you're headed to another Alamo Bowl game, then, yeah, I think even the boosters would probably at this point say, yeah, it's time to move on. Things just not are, you know, they're just simply not working out. And I wouldn't be shocked to see if he still gets about two more years. But regardless, I think another disappointing season and, you know, especially you end the year eight and five, which, you know, for Texas, with all the talent you have, you should not be ending a season eight and five. But anyway, Washington, to wrap us up on Thursday, they beat the Longhorns 27 to 20 in the Valero Alamo Bowl. No, I mean, guys, we, I mean, I'm telling you, this bowl season, I mean, and literally legitimately has not disappointed whatsoever. It's been absolutely fantastic, and it only continued to get better as now we're going to go over to Friday's slate of bowl games. And, well, we had a five total bowl games on Friday, and I'm only going to talk about four of them because they're actually like decent sized ones. But the first one we're going to talk about, we're going to go out to Charlotte, North Carolina at the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which is kind of a newer bowl game. You know, I think it, the first year was last year, which we were able to see South Carolina and North Carolina take on each other. And we got to see Coach Beamer literally get poured on with a huge Gatorade tub of mayo. So the winner of the Duke's Mayo Bowl, the head coach is able to get poured with a huge thing of mayo. So you win, but you win at a cost. But anyway, we had the Maryland Terrapins taking on the NC State Wolfpack. And, well, for Maryland, you got a really high-powering offense. And then for NC State, you've got a really solid defense, you know, a very veteran-present defense. And, you know, for a game that a lot of people consider to be or what could potentially be a high-scoring game, it was anything but that. We only had one touchdown in this game. But we had, let me count the amount of field goals we had. We had one, two, four, five, six. We had seven field goals in this game. NC State were never able to get into the end zone despite having, you know, numerous, you know, numerous opportunities to get into the end zone. But unfortunately, young quarterback in Ben Finley, who was making only his second career start, his first career start was like actually in NC State's previous game against their arch rival, uh, North Carolina, in which they were able to go on the road and upset North Carolina and Chapel Hill. So going into this game, you had to feel pretty confident about Ben Finley. And, well, definitely was not his game. 24-48, 269 yards passing with two or with zero touchdowns and then two interceptions. One of those being the game-losing interception to Jacorian Bennett, who made an incredible catch to come down with the ball and give Maryland ultimately the win in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. And then on the flip side for Maryland, their offense really was not that much better than NC State. You know, instead of going with their normal starter in Talia Tagovailoa, they would actually start the game off with Billy Edwards, but then would ultimately go back to Talia as a starter. And well, in this game, Talia, who statistically may not have looked the best, still, you know, when they needed him in certain positions, would able to come up, would able, would be able to come up clutch. I'm so sorry, I have no idea why I'm trying to talk so fast. But um, anyway, Talia on the day would go 19 to 37, 221 yards passing with one touchdown and then two interceptions as well. So both quarterbacks in this game definitely struggled a little bit when it came to decision making and, you know, not throwing a lot of those errant passes that end up, you know, in the defender's hands. But regardless, Maryland's defense, which, you know, when you think of Maryland, you don't really think much of their defense. You think of, you know, more of the offense, right? And, you know, Maryland not having their top three wide receivers in this game with, um, I think it's. I can't even remember their names, but I know two of them at least are pretty much going to be going to the NFL next year. 
you know, definitely kind of, you know, hampered a little bit of the pass game for um, Maryland. So their defense had to come up clutch if, you know, Maryland was, Maryland was going to have any chance at winning this game over NC State. And they did exactly that, held NC State to only 27 rushing yards on the day, which is huge against this NC State team as Maryland would go on to hold off against NC State late in this game, 16-12. to as the Maryland Terrapins are your Duke's Mayo Bowl champion. And best part about it was you got to love the Mayo bath in which Coach Loxley would be able to get pre or I'm not pregame, postgame, which y'all can go watch the clip. It's absolutely hilarious. And definitely I think this bowl game has started to become one of the more entertaining bowl games that we have in all of the bowl season. So definitely it was a great way to kick off. Um, Definitely a great way to kick off Friday. Maybe not been the most entertaining game, but regardless, all the little antics and everything like that, it was absolutely fantastic. And another cool thing about the um, Duke's Mayo Bowl, too, we got to see former Bronco and Texan quarterback Brock Osweiler actually be one of the announcers in this game. And I would say he did a pretty darn good job. Definitely an announcer that might continue to, you know, go up the ranks a little bit in terms of, you know, going to bigger games and everything like that. So that was kind of cool to hear a little bit of Brock Osweiler in this game. Now, y'all, anyway, you know, we had the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. Now we're going to go to our second bowl game that we had here on a Friday, and we're going to go to El Paso, Texas, literally as far west as you can go in Texas at the Sun Bowl, the home of the UTEP Miners, as we had the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl between the Pitt Panthers and the UCLA Bruins, which, to be frank, I don't think a lot of people are going to be too excited about this game, myself included, because, well, for Pitt, they were missing a lot of guys in this game. They didn't have Israel Abanacanda. Keaton Slovis had entered the transfer portal. And, you know, for Pitt, really, their hopes were going to rely on fifth-year senior quarterback Nick Patty, who up until this point had only had two career starts. This game in the Sun Bowl would be his third. And to say that Nick Patty had himself a heck of a game and really, you know, took this Pitt Panther offense under his wing would be a complete just underestimate because in the first half of this game, it looked like UCLA was going to run all over Pittsburgh as at halftime. It was 21-14. to 14. Score might be a little bit misleading because Dorian Thompson-Robinson, he was throwing the football so effectively. But once that second half hit, I mean, this Pitt team completely revamped their game. And especially in the fourth quarter, Nick Patty, who pretty much turned into Kenny, uh, Kenny Pickett in the way that he would run the football in this game, he would go 20-41, of 41, 224 yards passing with one touchdown and then one pick. But running the football would be really what helped keep this Pitt team in the game, despite, you know, punting the ball back to UCLA, who Dorian Thompson-Robinson would leave the game with a back injury. Ethan Garbers, the younger brother of former Cal Bear quarterback Chase Garbers, he would lead the Bruins all the way down the field to get the game, you know, what, what at that point would have been the game-winning, you know, game-winning touchdown. But then, with I think it was a little bit under a minute left in the game, Pitt would get the ball right back, and Nick Patty had one of the best drives you would ever see. He had a huge 41-yard rush that pretty much set Pitt right in prime position for the game-winning field goal. And, you know, it just so happened to be that their kicker in this game was 4 of 4, you know, on field goal attempts, you know, prior to that field goal attempt. And, well, despite the win being against him, he would kick it right through the uprights as Pitt would go on to upset UCLA in, in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. 37 to 35 and you know for UCLA this one is an absolute heartbreaker right the first half you had all the momentum in the world probably shouldn't have been able to win this game but then going into um you know going into the second half things just completely switched it looked like Pitt easily had this game 
And then you come right back. You know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson had a rough second half. Not a rough first half. He looked good, but in the, in the second half, just looked absolutely horrendous. But he's, he'd go 15-23, to 23, 270 yards passing with two touchdowns and then three interceptions, which when you look at it back now, those three interceptions really did cost this UCLA team the game. But outside of that, I mean, it was – it was really, it was just a heartbreaker, and it was kind of painful to watch, especially seeing DTR, you know, who, who would leave the game with a back injury. You know, he's been with this team when they were at their absolute lowest, and you know, during this season was with them when they're at their was with them when, during their absolute highest, and it was it was one of those games where it was absolutely it was entertaining. Don't get don't get it twisted. This game definitely is what makes bowl season so special. And, you know, for UCLA, their offense, which played really good in this game, T.J. Harden would have 111 yards rushing and a touchdown, which at that point would have been the game-winning touchdown. And then Cam Brown also had 115 yards receiving. But the defense of UCLA is really what would cost them once again, as we've seen it in games against Arizona. We saw it against, you know, um, Oregon. We saw it, you know, almost against Cal. I mean, UCLA has been put – you know, UCLA could have been one of the best teams in the Pac-12, if not the best team in the Pac-12 if their defense was able to hold up against a lot of these offenses. And going up against Pitt, this was a game that UCLA, especially considering all the guys that Pitt did not have in this game on the offensive side of the football, they easily should have won. But regardless, got to give your hat, hats off to um, Pitt in this game for, you know, battling it thick and through. And especially Nick Patty, who, you know, only has three you know three career starts through five years in college, you know, waited his time to get up to this point. And, I mean, hey, he played one hell of a game as Pitt. Once again, we're going to beat UCLA in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. 37 to 35 now y'all we're gonna go to our next game that we had on thursday and man this was an absolute fun to one to watch and i mean if you watch this game you know exactly why as we had the notre dame fighting irish taking on the south carolina gamecocks and for both of these teams they both had pretty strong finishes to the year you know notre dame at home against number four clemson at the time were able to upset them south carolina you know at home against number five tennessee at the time they were able to upset them and then also south carolina that following week and the last week of the regular season were able to upset clemson on the road who is their rivals so both of these teams with some pretty strong finishes to the season but you know in the case of south carolina they were missing a lot of key contributors on offense marshawn lloyd their top running back he entered the transfer portal they also lost jaheem bell to florida state they also lost their number two tight end austin stogner who originally was a package deal with spencer rattler you know coming over from oklahoma he has now returned to oklahoma and it was going to be interesting in this game to see how, you know, would Spencer Rattler and the South Carolina offense be, you know, without having, you know, some of your top producers on offense. And, well, I mean, I think South Carolina, they did pretty good, but, you know, despite not having a lot of those guys, as South Carolina would absolutely start this game off on fire as their special teams would come up huge on a fake punt that would end up going for a touchdown and then also on the following possession when Notre Dame would get the football right back they would also get a pick six so I mean I mean it was safe to say South Carolina started this game really hot but you know despite those early mistakes by the fighting Irish they would once again kind of how it is in, is in their name they would start to fight back into this game against South Carolina as going into halftime they would only be down 24 to 17 and compared to how it looked in the first quarter that was definitely a huge W you know for Marcus Freeman and the Notre Dame fighting Irish and then in the second in the second not second quarter in the second half Notre Dame, they would get the ball back first, and on that first drive, they would go down the field as Tyler Bushner, who was originally the starter to open the season for the the, um, the Fighting Irish against Ohio State, but he would go down with the injury, also due to a lot of the fact that it was just a lot of inconsistent play, that Drew Pine would come in and be the starter, 
played absolutely horrible during the season with the Irish. He, you know, he's gone now to Arizona State. So Tyler Bushner once again will get the starting role. And well, up to this point, Tyler Bushner hadn't looked that bad outside of that one pick six. But then South Carolina gets the ball right back and they go and score a touchdown. And then on the following drive, and I mean, this game was pretty much back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Just, just so happens to be that South Carolina, they would get another pick off of Tyler Bushner. And, you know, really interceptions have been an issue that's kind of hampered Notre Dame quarterbacks the entire season. And, you know, we saw a lot of that in this game. But, you know, regardless, South Notre Dame's defense, not South Carolina, uh, Notre Dame's defense, you know, when they needed them to come up clutch, they would come up clutch and be able to hold Spencer Rattler and South Carolina, you know, force them to punt the football right back to the offense. And, you know, as we just mentioned a little bit early on, you know, interceptions have really hampered Notre Dame quarterbacks. And in this game, Tyler Bushner, he would throw three interceptions. But in the second half of this game, he, you know, started to kind of get more in rhythm. You know, hasn't really played all that much this season. Last time he played was a back and I want to say, week two or week three of the season. So it's been a while since he's seen any real game action, especially going up against, you know, the pass rush of South Carolina in this game, which was dominating Notre Dame's offensive line for the most part. The second half was really just the Irish figuring thing, things out, you know, truly performing to the level that they should have been the entire season. I mean, Tyler Bushner looked really good throwing and running the football as he would have two critical rushing touchdowns in this game alongside 61 rushing yards. And then Audric Estime, who I absolutely love, I think is one of the more underappreciated running backs in all of college football. He had 95 rushing yards on the day. Logan Diggs would have 89 rushing yards and one touchdown, which one of those being, which would end up being kind of the game-changing touchdown, so to speak. And then for South Carolina in the second half, you know, definitely there was there was a few questionable calls, but you know, kind of just offense got a little bit more slower, not really being able to get things going, punting the football right back to. Um, Notre Dame and just really that's kind of what ended up killing him in this game and well on the final drive Tyler Bushner he would connect with starting tight end Mitchell Evans who was really who for the most part of the season really didn't play dealt with some injury issues and obviously the guy right in front of him just so happens to be the best tight end in Notre Dame history and Michael Mayer so very limited time that Mitchell Evans has seen this season but in the time that he played in this game he came up really critical for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, which included getting the game-winning touchdown. Now, there was some, there was still some time left on the clock, so South Carolina would get the ball back. But in that little time frame, they were not able to do much. Uh, Spencer Rattler chunked the ball up on a little Hail Mary, and it would fall to the ground. As Notre Dame would come back in a game, you know, in which they trailed at one point 21-7 after the first quarter and looked like this game might be slowly fading away from it, would come back behind an Impressive performance by Tyler Bushner. Didn't let his mistakes get to him. You know, made the adjustments he needed to. You know, utilized his legs a lot more. And well, that's that was one of the recipes and one of the little ingredients and in how Notre Dame would win this game. So Notre Dame would go on to beat South Carolina in the Gator Bowl, 45 to 38. As Notre Dame, they now finished their 2022 campaign nine and four. And then for South Carolina, still an impressive year considering how it started the middle of the season. But most importantly, the way that you finish the season really shows the you know the future direction that this program is heading in, right? Getting those two huge top 10 wins at the end of the season kind of gave you a lot of momentum going into recruiting and everything like that. And yes, you did lose some key pieces, but once again, what Shane Beamer's doing right now in Columbia, South Carolina is something special. And I definitely expect South Carolina to be another nine, possibly even 10 wins, 10 win team next year in the SEC. So great season for South Carolina, just Unfortunately, they were not able to close it out against the a really good Notre Dame team. So Marcus Freeman, 
finally gets his first bowl win as head coach last year, lost in the Fiesta Bowl to Oklahoma State. But this season, able to revenge that as they have what arguably was one of the best bowl games of the entire bowl season in the Gator Bowl as they win 45-38 to over the Gamecocks of South Carolina. Now, y'all, we're done with all those games, which those games are already – I mean, the three the three games before we get to the Orange Bowl, those games are already so great. Pitt and UCLA in what was one of the most dramatic bowl game it, uh, finishes you'll ever see. Notre Dame and South Carolina, another really close finish. Maryland and NC State, another really close finish. But now we're going to go to the Orange Bowl as we had the six-ranked Tennessee Volunteers who are without who were without Hendon Hooker in this game, had to go with former Michigan quarterback – Joe Milton, who has been at Tennessee for some time now, and he still has one more year of eligibility, too, if he decides to stay, and potentially if he does stay, will probably end up getting the starting gig next season. But in this game, they're going to be taking on the now Cade Klubnik-led Clemson Tigers, DJ Ugalele, as we all know, is headed to Oregon State. So now in comes true freshman five-star quarterback, Cade Klubnik, in one of the biggest moments of his career, right? Obviously, not in the playoffs or anything like that, but definitely... A bowl game of this size, you definitely, it, it could be a little bit nerve-wracking to such a young quarterback. And, you know, in this game between Clemson and Tennessee in the Orange Bowl, it, it was already going to be a great game because you have two orange teams, you know, Tennessee with their orange, Clemson with their orange, taking on each other in literally the bowl game called the Orange Bowl. So it already was going to go off to a great start. But um, <laughs> anyway, t- actually talking football now and how the game would go. I think I would say after watching this game especially, and you know the few games that Joe Milton has played in, um, Joe Milton, the former Michigan quarterback, now at Tennessee, took over as starter after Hendon Hooker went down with that torn ACL that he had against uh, South Carolina. You know, I really, you know, watching a little bit of his starts against Michigan, the few starts that he's had, you know, here at Tennessee, I'm like, okay, this kid's got an incredible arm. You know, watching it in general, this kid can throw the football like it's nothing. Pretty much up there with guys like, you know, Josh Allen of the Bills and then Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs. And he showcased a ton of that in this game against uh, Clemson. As he would have, as he would go 19 to 28, 251 yards passing with three passing touchdowns and zero interceptions. Joe Milton looked like the real deal tonight against this Clemson defense, which is honestly really not that bad. I mean, obviously, they don't have Brent Venables anymore as he's off to Oklahoma, but still, regardless, it's not a bad Clemson team. And, you know, Joe Milton, who's likely going to end up, you know, having at least one year of being the full time starter for Tennessee next year. I think if you're a Vols fan, definitely watching this game, you felt really confident going into the new year and new season next year. And, you know, offensively, I mean, they played about as well as you could want them to play. Squirrel White really emerged in this game, who is a really small wide receiver, really fits the nickname Squirrel that his grandmother gave him, as he would have nine receptions for 108 yards receiving and one touchdown. I mean, this was pretty much Tennessee from start to finish because Clemson's offense and even special teams were just god-awful in this game. And first, I want to talk about Clemson's special teams because their kicker in this game, and let me, it's... um. Something a BT Potter. So his name is BT Potter. He's been with Clemson for a while now. Very veteran kicker, and you know he's known for being a pretty reliable kicker. And well, in this game, he would start out kicking the football by missing three straight kicks, three straight field goal attempts on back to back to back possessions. Not a way that you're going to be able to beat a team like Tennessee, let alone even attempting a field goal. You're not going to really be able to compete with Tennessee's offense. But missing three straight field goals. Norman's going to end up, you know, setting you up for failure, but regardless, his final two field goals in this game, he would actually make, so at least he ended it on a positive note, but, you know, offensively, you know, for Clemson, 
they just could not get anything going. You know, Kate Klubnik now in his first real career start last week, or not last week, in the last game that they played against North Carolina in the ACC championship game, it was almost like a start except the fact that he just didn't get that the first drive. But regardless, this was his first official start and definitely was a little bit of a rough one to say the least. Constantly had pressure in his face because, you know, Clemson doesn't have the same offensive line as they've always had. You know, when they had Trevor Lawrence, when they had even Kelly Bryant, I know it's kind of a name a lot of people kind of forgot about. And it definitely showed in this game because Kate Klubnik was literally running for his life the entire game as he'd go 30 of 54 320 yards passing with zero touchdowns and then two interceptions, one of which would be the game-sealing interception, which, to be frank, the game was already over at that point. But um, regardless, you know, for Clemson this year, their biggest thing has been running the football. You know, if you get Will Shipley going, you get just, you know, your running backs going in general, you're normally going to be set up for success. The problem was that Tennessee volunteer defense, which we always kind of joke a little bit about because they always give up so many points. But these last few weeks of the season, they've looked pretty good outside of the South Carolina game. And in this game against Clemson, they pretty much shut down the run completely for Clemson as Will Shipley would only have 72 yards rushing on the day. Kay Klubnik would only have 51 and then one rushing touchdown as well. So hats off to what Josh, ha Josh, ha Josh Heupel and his staff have been able to do for this volunteer program because, I mean, I mean, man, this Tennessee team, you know, if they continue to recruit well, they continue to, you know, get players to buy into their program and really, you know, understand that this team could be a serious threat in the SEC, which, you know, you look a few years ago, back when Jeremy Pruitt was a head coach, you probably would laugh at that statement, but now it's a whole different ball game, and, you know, Tennessee proved it tonight, especially that, hey, you know, that one game against South Carolina did not define us, and, you know, that those games against Alabama and LSU, you know, those are, those are truly what this team can be at full health, and, you know, they showcased it tonight as they would go on to blow out Clemson in the Orange Bowl 31-14 to as Tennessee, they now wrap up their 2022 campaign 11-2. First time they've had 11 wins since early 2000s, so yeah, this has definitely been a pretty amazing season for Tennessee. And then for Clemson, you know, you finish the season 11-3, which record-wise you're like, wow, not a bad year, but... Looking at all the times they struggled against opponents that they probably should have beaten easily. You know, I still remember week one watching them in Atlanta take on Georgia Tech and the way that Georgia Tech's defense was kind of stifling their offense. You know, DJ was still the starting quarterback, but just seeing the way that their offense it just didn't really look complete until late in the game. And, you know, we saw a lot of that in this game against Tennessee. And, you know, you just can't do that against a team like Tennessee. But Anyway, Clemson, they got a lot of things they're going to have to work on. You know, Kay Klubnik, who is still a really good quarterback, obviously not Trevor Lawrence good because I think the expectations might have been set a little bit too high because of how well Trevor Lawrence was during his freshman season. But regardless, Kay Klubnik's going to be a stud for Clemson going forward. And the Tigers, they're not done. They're still in the ACC, so they'll always compete pretty much every year. But anyway, Tennessee would go on to beat Clemson in our final bowl game here on Friday in the Capital One Orange Bowl, 31-14. to Now, y'all, I know we've already been talking for an hour at this point, you know, constantly talking about all these game, bowl games and everything we've got going on. But Saturday, New Year's Eve, we had two of the most important games of the entire season, the two college football playoff semifinal games. Now, before we do start talking about those bowl games, we, we, we still did have some New York Six Bowl games, which the first one that we are going to talk about, we're going to go down to New Orleans in um, the Saints Saints Dome, I always, I always kind of call it just the Saints Dome, in the Sugar Bowl as we had the Alabama Crimson Tide, who luckily enough, 
you know, just, you know, a lot of teams have been kind of killed with opt-outs and everything like that. Alabama would be able to have both of their two best players on offense and defense and Bryce Young and Will Anderson not actually opt out. So they would both be, you know, starting in this game against Kansas State, who last time Kansas State played were coming off an upset win against TCU in the Big 12 championship game, which was heavily relied on by the great quarterback play of Will Howard. And obviously they got one of the most underrated running backs in the country and Deuce Vaughn, who very similarly in play style is like a young Darren Sproles. So this matchup was already a game that I knew a lot of people were excited for, myself included, because I've always kind of personally liked Kansas State, which kind of kind of pains me a little bit because they're very similar to TCU, right? Always are underdogs regardless of how good they're playing. And Kansas State, in my opinion, despite, you know, that early season loss to Tulane, they've been absolutely dominant, you know, lost at home to Texas, you know, lost on the road against TCU. But regardless, those three, you know, three losses were against pretty quality teams. So, this Kansas State team is definitely a team that I know Alabama did not want to, you know, underestimate because, you know, they may not have all the big talent in the world, but they definitely are well-disciplined and well-rounded team. And in the first quarter of the Sugar Bowl, it looked like this potentially could be a Kansas State, you know, domination game because at one point in this game, they led Alabama 10-0 to after Deuce Vaughn, who I absolutely love. I, now, we don't know yet if he's going to be entering the draft or he's going to be coming back for, I think, his senior season. But regardless, Deuce Vaughn would break out an 88-yard touchdown run, which was the longest ever given up by a Nick Saban-led Alabama team. So, you know, Kansas State was absolutely on fire to start this game, but that wouldn't last too long because 2021 Heisman winner Bryce Young, who actually decided, you know, he's going to be a top-five pick regardless of in this um, next year's upcoming draft. And, I mean, man, did this kid dominate in this game against Kansas State, especially their secondary. He kind of toyed, you know, toyed with them a little bit in this game as he'd go 15-21 for 321 yards passing with five passing touchdowns on the day and didn't even throw an interception. So you could definitely say Bryce Young showcased, you know, kind of a major reason on why he deserves to be the number one overall pick in this upcoming year's draft. And I think after this game, definitely solidified that to say the very least. And, you know, for Kansas State, you know, despite that really strong start, they just couldn't get anything going the rest of the game as, you know, through the next three quarters, they would only put up one touchdown and one field goal. Will Howard, who has been pretty incredible this year, you know, especially in the Oklahoma State game, really balled out the TCU game. But just unfortunately in this game, didn't really show up. That defensive Alabama led by Will Anderson in that pass rush was getting to him a lot in this game as he'd go 18 of 35, 210 yards passing with zero touchdowns and then two interceptions on the day. And, you know, we're talking a little bit about Deuce Vaughn a little bit early on. You know, after the first quarter, he was already over 100 yards rushing, right? It looked like Alabama, you know, they just couldn't find a way to stop him because, well, you know, it's kind of like, the, and I always joke about it, he's kind of like the gingerbread man, right? He's really small and it's kind of hard to get him down, but... I kid you not, Alabama, they made the right adjustments, and through the rest of the game, he would only get about 40 to 45 more yards the entire game. So great job by Alabama's defense for finally being able to stop Deuce Vaughn, which is something that a lot of teams this season have not really been able to do outside of, you know, really, I guess you could say, you know, Tulane and, you know, now Alabama. But Alabama, they didn't struggle whatsoever in the Sugar Bowl against Kansas State as they would go on to beat the Wildcats 45-20. to as Alabama, they now finish their 2022 campaign 11-2. and And then for Kansas State, you still have a really bright future. What Coach Kleiman is doing up there in Manhattan, Kansas, is something special. And, I mean, yes, this was a rough game, but you're going up against a team which, you know, I always talk about, well, you can buy talent, but that doesn't mean talent's going to, you know, 
get you know real good chemistry or anything like that but you could definitely tell the talent difference in this game and it definitely showed as you know Alabama pretty much cruised to an easy victory against the Kansas State Wildcats in the Sugar Bowl to kick us off on New Year's Eve now y'all for the next bowl game and we're going to finally get you know, we're finally going to start talking a little bit about the college football playoff semifinals. Now, the first semifinal game that we did have, we're going to go out to Phoenix or no, Glendale, my bad. We're going to go out to Glendale, Arizona in the uh, Verbo Fiesta Bowl as we had the Michigan Wolverines taking on my TCU Horn Frogs and men. What a matchup this is, right? You've got TCU led by, you know, Heisman contending quarterback Max Duggan who was able to go to New York, literally was second in voting, you know, having an amazing offense with, you know, future first round pick Quentin Johnson, you got Kendra Miller, Darius Davis, a lot of speedsters on this TCU offense. But they're going up against a really solid defense in Michigan, which has been one of the best in the Big Ten and the nation. And then also, to the last game that we saw Michigan play, their final two games they played were in complete domination. So this matchup was set to be probably one of the best, you know, best games that we we're going to have the entire bowl season. And this college football, you know, semifinal game it definitely lived up to the hype, and probably even more. You could even go on to say it's been the best college football playoff game, if not one of the best games, just in history so this game did not disappoint whatsoever we had two offenses in this game that were high like just high powering from start to finish both quarterbacks however in this game would throw two interceptions jj mccarthy the starting quarterback for michigan he would actually throw two pick sixes in this game one early on to uh, right directly to bud clark tcu starting safety which would get the scoring started in this game and then later on would throw another one to d winners who had himself probably one of his best career games in this game against the, the Wolverines of Michigan. But, I mean, man, TCU just, their defense, which, you know, they yes, they allowed 45 points in this game. But outside of looking at points and, you know, st statistics and everything like that, when TCU needed them the most to come up clutch, they came up clutch in tackling-wise and just speed and everything like that. I think that's something, and this might be a little bit biased because I am a TCU fan, this is something that I don't think Michigan really has seen this entire season outside of, you know, playing Ohio State and Penn State and teams like that. But, I mean, overall, what a game for TCU. And, you know, they were able to do all this behind Max Duggan really not having his best game throwing the football as Max would go 14-29, 225 yards passing with two passing touchdowns and then two interceptions. Now, I will cut Max some, you know, some slack because those two interceptions were definitely not his fault. Both of the um, the receivers that he intended to throw the ball to ended up tipping the ball into the air, and they would end up getting intercepted. So, in reality, it really wasn't on Max, but still, they technically do get claimed to him. But, man, the run game of TCU balled out. You know, with Kendra Miller, who started the game off going really good, had about seven yards per carry, but would eventually leave the game after getting his ankle pretty much twisted but they would say it'd be a knee or ankle injury something with his lower leg so he would actually be out for the remainder of the game this injury occurred about let's say the end of the, the end of the first half so they would have to go with their backup running back Amari DiMercato who has been at TCU for quite some time now and well Amari he definitely did not disappoint and definitely lived up to you know fulfilling the shoes of Kendra Miller in this game as he would have 17 carries on the day for 150 50 yards rushing in one touchdown. He also broke off a huge 69-yard rush, rushing, rushing play, which could have been a touchdown, but he was just a little bit short. But regardless, TCU's offense did not skip a beat whatsoever. Quentin Johnston, he had himself a heck of a game. Six receptions for 163 yards receiving and one touchdown. Also had a long touchdown reception of 76 yards, which really helped change the momentum in this game and put it right back to TCU. And 
When I tell you this game was pretty much back and forth, back and forth, I mean, TCU, they would go up by two possessions. Michigan would crawl back and only be down by three points. Then TCU would get another touchdown and a turnover, and then Michigan would come right back, start scoring some points. And, I mean, this game literally, this was probably one of the most entertaining and just overall just quality games you will ever watch. You know, for Michigan, their run game was not that bad. Donovan Edwards, who is – who's a replacement for Blake Corm, who should have been a Heisman finalist, you know, going up to Newark, but suffered a torn ACL. He would have 23 carries in this game for 119 yards rushing. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, and also for Michigan, they kicked the game off pretty good as well, going all the way down the field on a 54-yard rush by Donovan Edwards. But unfortunately, the mistakes by J.J. McCarthy, those two interceptions, proved to be pretty costly. Now, there was a lot of controversial calls for both teams in this game. There was a touchdown pass that J.J. McCarthy had to Ronnie Bell that they just called a little bit short, which, I mean, to be frank, when you looked at where the ball placement was, it's not about where the player is. It's about where the ball is. He was technically barely short, maybe by a few inches. But um, regardless, I mean, this was one heck of a game. And Michigan's offense, they played pretty well. So did TCU. Both teams had their moments where they struggled in this game. But TCU... They just, I mean, they pro, I mean, they, you could tell that, that that loss against Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game really affected them, and it showed in this game against Michigan. As TCU, they would go on to, you know, go on to beat Michigan and upset the Wolverines 51 to 45 in the highest scoring Fiesta Bowl game in history, and arguably what may go down as one of the best college football playoff games in history. As TCU, they now will advance to the national championship game. For the first time since the early 1920s. I mean, what a season has been for Coach Dykes in his first season as head coach of the Horned Frogs. And, I mean, man, it's just going to be really interesting to see, you know, them play who. We'll talk a little bit about who their opponent is going to be here in the next game that we had here in bowl season. As the next game we're going to talk about just so happens to be the second college football playoff semifinal game, which we're going to head out to Atlanta, Georgia, which was pretty much a home game for the Georgia Bulldogs, considering Atlanta's really not that far from Athens. So it's pretty much like a home game for the Georgia Bulldogs as you would have Stetson Bennett and Georgia take on C.J. Stroud and the Ohio State Buckeyes. And, well, the last time that we saw Ohio State play, they were coming off getting absolutely torched at home against the Michigan Wolverines, a game in which C.J. Stroud struggled a little bit. The defense got absolutely exposed by J.J. McCarthy and Donovan Edwards. So they had a lot that they needed to prove to the country in this game that, hey, that was just a one-game thing. You know, we are not that same team that you saw a few weeks ago in that game. And, you know, for Georgia – just got to continue to keep your domination. I mean, this team is one of those that, you know, if you ever see on your schedule, you're dreading because it's pretty much almost a guaranteed loss. And well, for Stetson Bennett coming off, you know, national championship winning season last year, going into the season, having the same expectations, you know, they were pretty much set in the prime position to, you know, win another national championship despite losing, you know, all of those defensive guys to the NFL draft. So this matchup was set up to be another really good game and, very similar to the other college football playoff semifinal game that we did have, it absolutely did not disappoint whatsoever as we were able to see really good quarterback play in this game. C.J. Stroud, the starting quarterback for the Buckeyes, who is probably going to end up being a top 10 pick in its upcoming year's draft, very similar to Bryce Young of Alabama. He went off in this game, 23 of 34, 348 yards passing with four touchdowns on the day. And with him, Emeka Ibuka, and Marvin Harrison Jr., they were connecting pretty darn well. You know, before Marvin Harrison Jr. would get knocked out of this game with a concussion, which he got a nasty hit in the back of the end zone, which was not a dirty hit by any means. I definitely think you could have called it targeting, but regardless, still was not a dirty hit. Tried to, you know, get the ball out of the receiver's hands. 
But Marvin Harrison would have himself a great first half, getting five receptions for about 100 yards receiving and two touchdowns. And then Mekek Buka, he balled out also to, you know, really has helped fulfill that role that once was formerly, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba spot, you know, due to him pretty much being out the entire season with the injury. But Emeka in this game, he would have eight receptions for 112 yards receiving and one touchdown. But despite such a great offensive performance by the Buckeyes, when it came down to crunch time, when it, you know, it was pretty much neck and neck towards the end of the second half, the defense kind of just, you know, opened up a lot of holes for Georgia to just absolutely you know, throw the football all over them. And Stetson Bennett, you know, up until this point of the game, really hadn't been anything special, but was still doing pretty good. Had an early pick, I think early in the first quarter, but outside of that, it, you know, been steadily improving throughout the game. And, well, Stetson Bennett, man, he looked fantastic in the fourth quarter, throwing for about 190 yards just in the fourth quarter and would go 10 to 12 with also a passing touchdown. So, or two, actually it was two passing touchdowns. So, yeah, safe to say Stetson Bennett really improved his game late in the game. And, well, his total stats on the day were 23 of 34, identical to C.J. Stroud, 398 yards passing with three touchdowns at one interception. I mean, this was this was a game that for Georgia, you know, it was really rough in the first half, really rough. I mean, offensively, you got things going in the second quarter, putting up 17 points, but Ohio State they would put up 21 in the second quarter as well. And you know, in the you know third quarter, you got shut out, but finally in the fourth, things would start to click even more as you finally would be able to get into the end zone just a tad bit more. And you know, Brock Bowers. Looked pretty good in this game. Had a clutch first down, which would set up a Georgia. I think it was a field goal. And you know, regardless, just Georgia when it came when it came up to them being clutch in this game, they showed up. And well, Ohio State would get the ball back after Georgia would score the go-ahead touchdown as they would lead 42 to 41. Ohio State led by C.J. Stroud. They would pretty much just march down the field with ease as they would get down into Georgia territory. I'd say about the. 30-yard line or so as it would set up what would be what should have been the game-winning field goal for their kicker Noah Ruggles who up until this point had been two for two you know kicking field goals but unfortunately for Noah the pressure would get to him just a little bit as he would miss the kick completely wide left of the goalpost as Georgia with a late comeback win would be able to go on and win the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl 42 to 41 over the Ohio State Buckeyes as Georgia they still remain undefeated at 14-0 and and now advance to the College Football National Championship, which they will face off against. My TCU Horned Frogs were able to upset Michigan early on on Saturday. And then for Ohio State, definitely a game in which your offense played pretty well. Defense had moments where it looked good, but ultimately, when it mattered the most, just were not able to stop Stetson Bennett and the Georgia Bulldog offense. But regardless, not a bad season. But, you know, the conversation still continues. Is Ryan Day really the guy that's going to lead, you know, Ohio State to another national championship win? And that question as of right now is no. I mean, he's getting recruits. He's getting a lot of guys. I mean, don't get it twisted. They, they have an amazing recruiting class coming in in the class of 2023. So I think, I, think, I think Ohio State, they'll be fine. But definitely this was a game that I think Ohio State should have put away pretty soon or should have put, put away pretty early on in this game. But regardless – can't count can't can can't count out man i just i'm telling you just cannot talk just can't count out the mailman and the georgia bulldogs as they go on to now try and defend you know try and defend their little national championship belt against my tcu horn frogs which i think that's going to be an amazing national championship game but um anyways y'all that's going to wrap up bowl season week three recap episode. I mean, there was so much great games that we had going on. All of the midweek bowl games that we had. 
which included an absolute thriller in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl between Kansas and Arkansas, a three-overtime finish. We also had Texas Tech beating up on Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. We also had Texas and Washington in a game which, well, safe to say Steve Sarkeesian definitely lost his cool a little bit in that game and just so many more amazing finishes that hopefully y'all were able to listen to in today's episode. So, guys, once again, I appreciate the heck out of y'all for simply dropping a listen. I hope y'all are having a great New Year's Day. I hope y'all are spending it with family, watching some NFL football, as there's tons of games going on today. But um, regardless, thank y'all so much for all your support this past year. It's truly been a blessing of mine to be able to do this each and every single day. I know we may not be the biggest community yet or anything like that, but you know, simply the small little community that we have going on means the absolute world to me. So guys, once again, thank you so much for all that y'all do. Please make sure that you do stick around, and if you like the episodes, we post pretty much almost daily. We don't post on the weekends, really, except on Sundays, normally for college football recaps, but that'll be kind of slowing down due to the season pretty much being over. But regardless, please make sure that you check out each you know episode and interviews because we drop on a consistent and daily basis. So hopefully you guys enjoy all the new things that we have coming y'all's way. So guys, once again, thank you so much, and I will catch y'all in the next one. Peace, y'all.